This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Across Australia, on the Community Radio Network, to over 70 community radio stations around the nation. This is Word for Word, coming to you from Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station, Melbourne's Joy 94.9. Hello and welcome to Word for Word. Dean Beck with you today. Now, if you could possibly imagine what it is like to be born with both genitalia, the challenges that presents, the discrimination, the difficulty throughout, one person in our community is prepared to speak up about it and has not only done that, but succeeded in life to become the Mayor of Hobson's Bay. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Word for Word, Tony Briffer. Hello, thank you. Tony, your life is an extraordinary one, and yet you go through it with the biggest smile and the greatest amount of energy. You are an inspiration. Let's start, I guess, when you realised you're a bit different. Wow. Um, I don't think I ever remember a time that I didn't know. Um, yeah. I was different, to be honest. Um, I'm a twin, so I've got a non-identical twin sister. And I've been going to the Royal Children's Hospital um, for as long as I remember. So I'd always go there um, as a child with my twin sister. Obviously, my parents will take us. And I'd be the one having the you know the procedures and the examinations and all that sort of stuff, not my twin. So I pretty much knew automatically, you know, from as long as I remember that there was something different about me. Unlike most children who go to the Royal Children's Hospital, it was your most intimate bits that were being fiddled with each and every time, I can only imagine. Well, it was actually quite funny, in a way, looking back at it. I mean, you know, I've got a sense of humour and I see things in sure. a peculiar way, perhaps. But as a kid, my mum would call the, the, that area my privates. Yep. And I used to think, well, it's a strange name for something that obviously isn't that private. And, and it is creating so much attention. <laughs> That's right. Right, yes. Um, and, and I was, I have to say, because I'm a very strong advocate for people with disabilities, and those experiences made me that way because I grew up with all these children just so terminally ill um, and course. seriously ill at the Royal Children's Hospital. And at the time I was thinking, well, I must be really sick as well, mm-hmm. um, only to find out later on as an adult that... I was actually never ill to begin with. I was just born with a, a genetic variation. Um, and really, it's not a medical condition. It was just a biological variation where I'm lucky enough it's called, to be born with extra bits. And <laughs> that's the difference of with, that, that you have made it, I, I guess. It, as you know, is a condition that has destroyed many people. Yeah. yeah and that's the, that's the really tough part about it. 
Actually, you see it as an opportunity almost to to to, uh, to be so different. Well, if I can just say, it's probably not the condition that destroyed so many people. It's the it's society and the shame, the stigma, the taboo that the medical community has attached to having that condition over so many years. Fortunately, that's changed, and I'm very pleased to have been part of that with the AIS Support Group Australia, that we've worked with the medical community to break down the that, that old treatment paradigm. Um, but you're right, look, and it's something that I, I celebrate, that I'm very open about. Um, being involved in politics, there's no such thing as personal secrets anyway, so I might as well be very open about it. There is that. <laughs> now, you're going to have to excuse me if I'm clumsy in my no, language right. at time to time, but please correct me. It's good that we're having the discussion, so I certainly don't mind people being clumsy around the language. And that's why I'm so pleased that you're here, that we can talk about this so openly. You mentioned uh, AIS before. That stands for Androgenin Insensitivity Syndrome. Yes, so androgen insensitivity. Or androgen insensitivity. Yeah, insensitivity syndrome. So what it means is that it's a condition where um, even though I'm uh, genetically male, so typically male, 46XY, my body didn't develop along nat- normal pathways to be male because my body doesn't respond fully to androgens. So I am what they call insensitive to androgens. Which is the, the, the trigger for the testes to descend and for the penis, penis to, to develop. develop because at the end of the day, we're all varied women. Well, that's, that's exactly right. So, male or female, married women. Yeah, yeah. So, if those things don't happen, um, you end up having a child that looks exactly female. In my case, um, when I was born, doctors weren't sure. So, yes, I had a vagina and I had largely female genitalia, uh, but my clitoris was somewhat large, and they had I had lumps um, in my above my groin area, I guess, where they realised I got testes. So. Yeah. And and I guess at first glance that wouldn't have been noticed. Oh no no they knew that. Well, oh, they, did they? Yeah, um because my I'm bragging now because my my clitoris Because your lumps were quite big. Because my clitoris was so <laughs> well. Um, <laughs> but I mean it clearly wasn't it was a, a more of a clitoris than a penis. I mean yeah, I yeah. certainly couldn't urinate from it or yeah, anything yeah. like that. And and if look to be honest if it was if it was an inch long the the inch was the critical thing at the time. Uh, if it was an inch, they would say, okay, it's a male and do horrible, horrible surgeries to make me a male. Um, in my case, it was a lot short, smaller than that, so they decided to yeah. go along the female path. Um, and that then involved all sorts of surgeries as a child, including uh, being castrated. So they, they did remove my testes when I was a child. And this is the interesting part. I, well, the whole thing's interesting, but mm. I, I guess the sad part is that it's a decision that you don't get to make. Yeah, and the High Court has made a decision in uh, in the early 80s that talks about um, doctors not being able to do non-therapeutic and irreversible surgeries to children and that's exactly what these surgeries are. So that decision came down to the High Court in the early 80s, and yet treatment of children with intersex conditions continued unabated in this country without family court approval. Um, Sometimes without recent, family approval. Largely without family approval. Let's, let's face it, families take the advice of doctors. Yeah. If doctors say, this is what we need to do to your child, your child has got this illness or condition, we need to do this, that's what you do. Mm. You do what's mm. best for your child, and that means listening from the professionals. This is one of those freaks of nature uh, that is evident right throughout uh, biology, right throughout mm. nature. Yep, a beautiful freak of nature. Absolutely. Indeed. And it's Indeed. been going on for, for, well, for as long as ever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And yet, why is it that it's only now that it's even uh, remotely discussed 
Um, at least in Western culture. If you look at other other countries, the Dominican Republic is a, is a wonderful example. Um, they have uh, members of their community, they re- revere them and they call them guavadochis. Right. And they have a condition called 5-alpha reductase deficiency syndrome. Oh, well which done. Mean, which <laughs> means um, there's an enzyme that these people are born with an enzyme deficiency, which means that the person is born looking completely female, but then come puberty, they actually masculinize. So they go through masculinizing puberty, their testes descend, their penis develops, and they become males. So uh, gravidochis means latent eggs. And um, so it's the so, same process, but it happens at puberty, not uh, pre-birth That's right, in because the womb. It's the, the, that particular enzyme uh, converts testosterone to dihydrotestosterone, which helps the development of, of uh, male genitalia. Sorry, pretty technical for a second. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. It, it's it's great that we can actually sort of demystify some of this because it's so clouded in secrecy mm. um, or has been for so long. And that has resulted in some fairly sad and tragic outcomes for many, many people. For lots of people. And I, and I do know lots of people that have, um, you know, had very difficult lives as a result. But if, for example, ABC, uh, sorry, ABC Television tonight at 10 p.m., there's Orchid's documentary, which I'm also on, but that'll showcase another example of a woman with complete AIS, androgen insensitivity syndrome, um, and her story. And because it is a genetic condition, her um, she has the condition, and so does her sister. And we have members of the of the support group that have you know a number of people in their families with that particular with our condition in fact one support group meeting we had two women turn up and we knew that they were turning up um but what we didn't know is that they were cousins so they turned up to a support group meeting and they're like oh they bumped into each other yeah, there and then that's how they found wow. out and again it's because of that shame and stigma yeah. that the family didn't even speak about it is there any research to suggest that this is genetic? Yes. Uh, so it in is a family ma- type of thing. That's right. Really? Well, it's certainly a genetic condition. Yeah. So if in my case, for example, if my if I'm if I had an identical twin, my identical twin would have had the condition as well. It is a genetic condition. Instead, you have an a non-identical twin. That's right. And you were be, you were both raised as, as girls. Yeah. So she is genetically female, yeah. I'm genetically male, um, etc. And we were raised as girls. They. I assume they felt that having a twin sister would help me also identify mm-hmm. as female. Mm-hmm. Um, probably did the opposite. So we, we went to the local Catholic girls' school. I was always interested in girls. So, you know, I was the, the lesbian at the school. <laughs> um, although I wasn't out, you know, I had to do the whole thing about pretending to, to be straight and whatever. But I, you know, didn't go to socials or whatever. So, look, it was, it was pretty difficult. And I was very different to my sister. Were you the butch one? Um, not really. Right. It's really, it's okay. really, yeah, 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 not really. Okay. So if I have, and I have got some photos, I'll show you some photos of me, but, you know, as Antoinette. I can yep. show you photos of me in, in dresses and whatever, you know, 10 years ago. And were quite comfortable in that, were you? Or? Yeah, look, because it's, it's funny, with me, my journey hasn't been about gender identity. It's not yeah. that I... I woke up one day and thought, no, nope, I want to be a bloke. With, with me, it was I wanted to be the person that nature intended. So when I found out about the nature of my condition and I was 29, and I found out only because of the internet. Part How of, do you find out at 29? 29, I found out because part of the whole treatment paradigm is lie. You lie to your okay. patients. You don't tell them the truth. If they do, they can't handle it. They'll go hysterical. They might go nuts. Um, so they don't tell us the truth. So when I was 29, thanks to the internet, um, did some searching and I found the AIS support group in the UK. 
what led up to you sort of questioning, I guess? What, what was it that, I mean, you, I, yeah. you'd had all the operations as a kid, I guess, yeah. but, but what was that thing at 27, 28, 29 that sort of led to you going, hang on a minute, I need to look into this a little further? Because whilst, whilst um, I was okay as, as a lesbian and, and frankly, you know, sexually it was all good as a lesbian, yeah, and, yeah. And I always felt uncomfortable with my partners calling me a woman, I guess, because I always felt that I'm more than that. Um, to be true to myself, I am more. Oh, geez, you've just upset a few people, but go on. Well, you know, I am. I, you know, I am biologically. I am more than a woman. Um, I and more this, than a man. I know, exactly right. So, yeah. as Antoinette, I was living a lie in just being a female, and as Tony, I would be complete, completely living a lie if I said that I'm completely male. Um, so I'm very comfortable in saying that. Okay, for the sake of life and whatever, my name is Tony, but I am both male and female. I'm very comfortable with that get over it and you actually celebrate the term other uh, i do um I, because i am male and female i am other you know even in the council chambers um the local law is that councillors is to call the mayor mr mayor or madam mayor i don't mind which one they call me mm-hmm. you know they could use they could use either one i heard an interview with you where you explained the level of acceptance that you have received mm. from within your community in the city of, of hobson's bay and that when you received the mayoral robes, you were welcomed by all sectors quite extraordinarily. Yeah, and I have to say, in particular, yeah, that that night, um, it was an an amazing night when I was elected mayor, and the, well, the chambers was absolutely, well, it was, it was overflowing, there were people outside the chambers, like people couldn't actually all fit in, and when I was elected mayor, standing ovation, cheers all round, afterwards, um, after the meeting, getting up and meeting people that were in the gallery, there was obviously our community, the gay and lesbian community. There was the, the Muslim community. There were so many different parts of the, of the broader Hobson's Bay community that supported me. And beautifully, and, and it's very touching for me, Muslim community, for example, the male Muslims were able to embrace me, literally embrace me and shake my hand to congratulate me. Uh, but also the Muslim women were able to do that as well. And normally Muslim, Muslim women wouldn't shake the hands of, of men. You have another man, um, yeah. But they did with me. And, um, wow. you know, I, I found that extremely touching. Yeah. Always will. Your election to the position of Mayor of Hobson's Bay wasn't uh, all smooth sailing. Yep. In fact, a former Premier of Victoria, Joan Kerner, oh, right. was quite outspoken about uh, the fact that you were elected uh, to council. Take us through that rather ugly period. Yeah, yeah that was, uh, so that was when I was elected Deputy Mayor for my second term um, and uh, Ms Kerner decided to come out and say that uh, it was, she was disappointed that it wasn't a woman that was elected as, as, um, as Deputy Mayor. And, you know, well, you know, she started talking about how minority groups and all that sort of thing and how women should be like... And how so, many boxes do you want to you know, tick? Well, exactly right. You know, and I was like, hello, Joan. You know, in, in fairness, you know, I did spend 31 years of my life as a woman. I am a woman and a man. Um, I'm you know, happy with was, that. I'm happy, and it was just, uh, just completely absurd that she would even go there. The reality was that I'm not a member of the Labor Party. I'm not a member of her Labor list. Uh, Emily's list, and that's that was the real issue. Um, I'm very proud to say that I'm an independent, and I serve the people of Hobson's Bay directly without having to worry about what a political party want me to Our do. Our special guest is <laughs> Councillor Tony Briffer, Mayor of the City of Hobson's Bay. We'll be back with more after this. Dean Beck with you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. 
Word for Word, delve into the extraordinary lives of everyday people. Word for Word, challenging, inspiring, engaging and entertaining. Broadcast live on Joy 94.9, Sundays from 11am and supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Tony Briffer is my guest, Mayor of Hobson's Bay and out, proud, loud, intersex part of our community, Tony. Very much so. When did you come to a comfortable resolution with it, uh, to the point where you outed yourself, I guess? Um, which time? I, have <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I came out as a lesbian years ago first, um, and then I came out, wow, in a big way as an intersex person in 2000. Um, and when I say that, I came out by appearing on a 60 Minutes <laughs> 60 Minutes program. Yeah, there's no much, uh, no bigger way to really come out, is there, than well, 60 Minutes? Um, I have to admit, sorry, I'm laughing, but I, um, I'll never forget actually doing it because I hadn't thought about the actual fact that I was actually coming out. So, yeah, yeah. So I did the, did the program and everything, and I was, I was more concerned about making sure that I represent the intersex community accurately and don't offend uh, any families affected by intersex conditions, but also my own family. Mm, so mm. Um, it was, that, that was my main focus. But then that was that was on the Sunday night that, that it was shown. Mm. On the Monday morning, driving to work, I realised, you know, some people might have actually seen this. Yeah, <laughs> so, like millions of people, really. So, so I get into the I get into the office, and you know, frankly, I have to admit, I don't think I did any work for the rest of that week. Um, everybody just came up to me and spoke to me about you know sixty minutes and being out, and wow, things make sense now. And I have to say. Probably unkindly, a couple of people annoyed me in, in terms of they they were homophobic and they didn't particularly like you know me as a lesbian beforehand. But then once I came out as being a sex person, it was like, oh well, it's okay now. I, I understand it because you're not really a female liking female, and God made it like it's just nonsense. So yeah, hang on a minute. Yeah, Let's I know. Let's explore that really a little. Uncomfortable. They were more comfortable with you being intersex than they were with you being a lesbian. Yeah, yeah. Because God, you right? Okay, yeah, okay. okay. Made okay. me this way, so yeah. Yeah, God didn't make you gay. Um, yeah, that's right. That was a, just a deviant perversion of guilt, of course. But um, <laughs> oh. I am just joking. Don't. Aren't we a wonderful? Uh, are we a wonderful you species? Know, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's right. Homophobia only exists in one species. Mm, mm. Yeah, there is that. Um, so. But the, the intersex thing is something that. Many are discriminated, um, you know, for for, mm. for naturally occurring, and um, that's got to have presented a few challenges for you. You can't tell me that it's all been a bed of roses uh, from the entire community. Yeah. Um, see, I tend not to dwell on yeah. that. Like, just, I, look, I really can. I don't know what it is about me, but I tend to move on from the negativity really well. So, whenever there has been any of that, I just. You know, okay, their problem, and and move on. I do focus on the positive stuff. So, yeah. um, I'm at a loss to actually be able to give you an example of one at the moment. Oh, sorry, no, actually, there's one. Um, and even that was a positive. You know, it's funny how you turn things to positive. A councillor at the time tried to use it against me in a political debate. Really? Um, uh, yeah, sadly. Um, That's a low blow. The person did. No pun intended, <laughs> you know, but that is a low blow. Yeah, and um, you know, 
they tried, and I have to say, the community outrage that it sparked <laughs> and the support, you know. How so, wonderful. So, you know, that was a negative, I guess, I start, but it was really actually a, such a positive. And even that was an educational experience. All three local newspapers ended up having front-page articles about me, about intersex conditions, educating people about what intersex is. It was a huge positive. So, yeah. You have been prepared to front this from, well, for as long as we can remember, always, pretty much. Yep, yep. And you've also been active in transforming the way policy is made uh, to be far more accepting and for the language to be far more relevant. Mm. Tell us a bit about that process, because policy change is not an easy one. No, and I have to say that I'm, I'd like to think that I'm active, not just for the intersex community, but the, for the whole rainbow, the queer, GLBTIQ community. Um, so I've Let's been, call that humanity. Yeah, yeah. well, human <laughs> rights. Human rights are human rights, yeah. you know. Um, so I have, so I, I was on the previous government's uh, ministerial advisory committee uh, for the health minister and the attorney general um, on GLBTIQ issues. Um yeah, politics is a good way of, of getting change, um, of getting the change that you want. So um, I sought to get involved in politics to make a difference. You've made a lot of difference. How do you intend to continue that change? Because there there's still stuff to be done. Um, yeah. and, and yet politics can also be, um, uh, you know, polarise people too. Mm. But you want, you really want to be inclusive in your change. Yeah, changing. well, it's funny because so far... So far, I seem to be able to bridge the divide, and and even in terms of gay and lesbian issues, um, I bring the community with me. I, I think so. Even with all, the, if you look at the gay and lesbian stuff that we've, we're doing with the, uh, Hobson's Bay City Council, we have that community forum now. We're third in our third year as part of the Midsummer Festival, and we're talking. Let's face it, the western suburbs of Melbourne being fully behind Midsummer and our community. If we look at the local governments that are actually supporting Midsummer and that are official partners of Midsummer, there's the Melbourne City Council and the Hobsons Bay City Council. That's it. Just us two. So there are ways in politics of being able to lead the debate and lead people to come with you and support causes. Um, through that, I'm, I'm trying my best to show leadership with other councils. So I, I actually think the whole, all Western Suburbs councils are behind us. And today in Werribee, they've got a rainbow family picnic in Werribee. Who would have thought that would ever happen, um, even last year or two years ago? Little, you know, it's, it's actually happening. So gradually we, we're making the change that we want. Tony, when it comes to uh, the intersex uh, community, how broad is it? How, how, um, how many are there? How, how, how often does this happen? Yeah, um, it's ex- look, it is extremely broad. There are a number of, and I mean, you know, tens of different types of, um, of intersex conditions. In the case of where a child is born with um, atypical sex, so where uh, doctors aren't sure if the child is born male or female, that happens in one in four and a half thousand births. So one out of every four and a half thousand births, doctors aren't sure. That's a very... uh, I I mean, originally I would have thought that it was like one in a million type of thing. So we're talking about 12 kids in Victoria a year. Yeah. Um, And that's figures that the Royal Children's Hospital came up with. And I have to say, Royal Children's Hospital are now leading the way in being very progressive about the way that children are treated. I'm pleased to have been part of that um, Mm. and working with the the same doctors that treated me as a child. Um, And again, it's part of me moving on and not holding grudges. Yeah, of course. Um, 
you know, had I had breakfast, I had lunch with oh sorry morning tea with um, one of the professors that, that treated me as a child the other week, um, and they're doing a great job at the Royal Children's Hospital. Have they changed their policy on on how they? Very much so. Operate? Very much so, yeah, very much so. Literally so, operate? Yeah. Right. Well, look, the surgical outcomes was never a question. The surgical outcomes at the Royal Children's Hospital were, were excellent. So in terms of the sexual, surgical expertise, brilliant. It was more the – and this took some years to get across to them. It was the, the legal and ethical aspects of what they were doing um, and the human rights aspects. It's a little bit more than circumcision, but like circumcision, culturally we have changed. I think there's a way to go culturally with circumcision yet, still, t- to be honest, um, in that if you look at the hard definition, as I mentioned earlier with the with um, the decision in the High Court, is circumcision medically required? No, if it's routine. And is it irreversible? Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's questionable about whether that should routinely happen or not. But culturally, it is not standard practice anymore. That, that's right. That's right. Although Whereas when I was it born, it was very much standard yes, yeah, practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and with treatment of children with intersex conditions, there are steps that, you, that the, the doctors now take um, through a, a committee at the hospital, an ethics committee. I'm actually trying to get onto that committee as well so that there's an intersex voice on the committee. Um, and they review the situation. If it is medically required, obviously, obviously there's no choice. You, you, hmm. The surgeries sure, are done. Sure. But if it's not medically required and it's irreversible, there are steps to take, and that could include actually going to the family court as well for approval to conduct those surgeries, as, as, as it ought to be. Tony Briffer, I know your mother has uh, had issues with, yeah. with, the, with your surgery. With the treatment, the whole well, treatment, and your treatment and being yeah. lied to, yeah. And, yeah, and there's a lot of guilt associated with that she feels that she allowed doctors to do all these things on me. I mean, I know that she acted in, in my best interests. She made decisions based on advice that she was given by the doctors. Likewise, I also know that the doctors did what they thought they were sure was best for me as well you know they didn't go out to say you know let's mm. let's really stuff this freak up <laughs> uh, you know they uh, they did what they thought they were, was best for me mm. as well um but we've moved on yeah yeah, so, yeah yeah you say that there are there are 12 kids uh, a year here at melbourne's royal children's hospital born well in victoria or in victoria yeah, with this condition to, uh, is there a um, a process a counseling uh, is there some sort of understanding that those parents are given these days that wasn't a case then not routinely no right. um so the support group would that is, help? Do you think? Uh, absolutely, meaning other families affected by yeah. this condition certainly help. Like if the family's got to meet someone like you. Yep, yep, and that's what we do. So in the support group, we do that. But I have to say, the support from the medical community for the support group really could be a lot better. Um, for that matter, the, the, the government support of the support group could be a lot better too. Mm. There's no funding or anything for it, mm. so we're all volunteers. But um, it certainly makes a difference. If we can, if we're going to have a family who's got a child with a intersex condition, to meet other parents of adult people with this condition, to say, to show them how, you know, what they went through, how they managed to cope, to show them examples of adults successfully living with those conditions. I mean, even things as, as um, if we look at genetic counselling, under the DHHS guidelines of what con- constitutes a, a severe genetic abnormality. Incredibly, we are considered, people with intersex conditions are considered a serious genetic abnormality, a genetic defect. Now, if you look Not at Not a us, miracle of, of, of 
of no, God, no, but, so to speak. So we're put in the same categories as conditions like spina bifida, Down syndrome, and all that. And really? We are. So if you look at the the numbers of terminations oh. of, of fetuses with people with my conditions, don't get me wrong, I'm you know, pro-choice and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. pro-choice means also fully informed, you know. Yeah, so, sure. Um, parents or prospective parents are being told that this condition is very serious, it's a serious defect, and some routine terminations occur for people with my condition, and it's not really that serious, frankly. You seem to have done all right. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Briffer is with us, uh, Mayor of Hobson's Bay. We'll be back with more after this. Dean Beck with you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Word for Word, delve into the extraordinary lives of everyday people. Word for Word, challenging, inspiring, engaging and entertaining. Broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network and supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You're with Dean Beck across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My special guest, Councillor Tony Briffer, Mayor of the City of Hobson's Bay. Councillor, uh, no, Tony, <laughs> you're not here in an official capacity, you're here in a personal capacity. <laughs> Has forming relationships been difficult as an intersex person? Yeah, look, relationships I find quite difficult. Um, a lot of intersex people don't because they, even though I identify quite solidly as being both male and female, which is just reflects also my... The, my physical reality. Uh, most people with intersex conditions identify purely as either male or female. So, for them, they you know most of them get married, have um, have kids or adopt, um, should I say? Um, because in my um, case I foster children. Are most intersex people um, biologically sterile? That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but and and also for a large portion of us, we raised. Comfortably in, in one sex. So I think the Royal Children's Hospital's research shows that about uh, 92% of people with intersex conditions are raised in the sex in which they're comfortable. Um, and carry that through, the, carry rest that through the rest of their life. Right. That's right. Okay. So, um, so, yeah, so, you know, so they get older and get married and establish relationships, you know, so that's that's all okay. With with me, I. Well, yours wasn't I really a total different. flip, was it? So no. It was sort of a, a slight move towards yeah, the middle. Yeah, that's right. It was, you know, like a. <laughs> In a half pike position or something. It was, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. Back, it was a um, look. Yeah, because with me, it wasn't about gender at all. It was I just wanted to be who I was meant to be. So I started taking testosterone because that's what I naturally had. I didn't have ovaries. I had testes that produced testosterone. So I wanted to take testosterone to, to be, see what happened. To see what happened. And look, the doctors told me that nothing was going. To be honest, they told me nothing was going to happen. Because at twenty nine, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. That's type right. Of thing. Well, yeah? they kept on refusing. So it was I was thirty. I was almost thirty one when I started testosterone. Um, it was only after being on 60 Minutes that they decided to approve it. And um, so, yeah, within months, though, I'm on this testosterone and things started happening. So my voice changed, my physical features of my face sort of changed. And did and you feel better then um, in, within yourself? It was kind of, looked. it was scary. It yeah, was like, sure. wow, you know, what what have they done? And who and was, what is who happening was this now? Person and, yeah. yeah, what's happening now? What am I going to look like? What am I going to be like? Who was I really meant to be had doctors not interfered with me? And so since then, it's been a journey of discovery, of self-discovery, of working out who I am, where I am now to the point where it's, all, it's good. You know, I am male and female um, physically. And in terms of my gender, I, I am somewhere in between. And that's, that's all both. And that's all good too. And you've had... The wonderful privilege, I guess, of uh, 
fostering kids as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I started fostering kids when I was 26 and was very lucky to have um, a boy and a girl that um, remained with me throughout me affirming myself and being who I am. Were they um, brother and sister? Brother and sister. Right. So, right. And my son still lives... I call him my son. It's a foster son, foster kids. But So my son still lives with me. Uh, my daughter moved out two years ago, but I caught up with her again this week. And, you know, so we've got a good relationship. And, yeah. and you never thought to adopt or I look I thought about adopting but adopting is incredibly difficult um there, there aren't numbers of really people adopting and particularly as a single person it's it's extremely difficult so um if I was married and ironically you know I can get married if I wanted to in fact I forgot hang on what's my birth certificate say no I can, sorry, I can marry you it's, it's like your pardon. So I, know, for, I have to keep on thinking which what my birth certificate says and who I can actually marry because not that it should matter these days. No, but according right. legally, I guess I can marry a woman. Um, because you're because my birth certificate says male at the moment. So my birth certificate's a lie. Basically, it's, my birth certificate should say male and female, um, or or other or whatever. Yeah, well, it used to say female ten, eleven years ago. That was changed to say. Uh, male, uh, but you know it's just as wrong now as it was eleven years ago. <laughs> frankly, um, so but now conveniently I can marry a woman, which is great because that's what I'm attracted to, I guess. But yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of nonsense. Really, yeah. people should be able to be with whoever they want to be with. Um, two consenting adults and relationships should be recognised, irrespective of sex. You also have uh, a few hobbies, not just counsel. Yes. Which One of them is cars. About? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell I, us a I little like bit cars. about that because uh, you just, not just any old cars either, yeah. do you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, I've got this absolutely gorgeous lady. She's 50 years old. Uh, see, it's a, it's a she. Her name is She's Amy. very beautiful. She's beautiful. Her, she's, her name is Amy Grace, and she's a 1962 Jaguar Mark II. Mm. Dove grey colour, red leather interior. It's Very hot. original. Yeah, yeah. She's gorgeous. And uh, you, it must be your pride and joy. How do you... You're only, a, you're only a little thing yourself, and it's yeah, huge. Yeah, so. it's, she's so gorgeous. I've also got an M5 that I play with. Um, but, yeah, look, yeah, that's a bit dangerous. The M5 it just goes so well. And the M5's a classic. You the also the, uh, love uh, yachting. Yeah, yeah, so I love sailing. The Alternative Yacht Club is absolutely wonderful, and so I love that. I, I play music. I play, so I play clarinet and love um, classical music and the like, and, yeah. What is it like in the changing rooms at the yacht shed? That's a difficulty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I must admit, um, we don't have, um, yeah, so segregated sort of showers or, you know, private mm. showers. Mm. So I, I avoid them. In fact, I've never used them. Yeah, I, sure. um, I don't do that. So, yeah, it's difficult. Even the other week I went to, to Bayfit, the local uh, gym, and so I use the family change rooms there. I'm not comfortable using the male ones and I won't use the female ones anymore. So... I just use the family ones there. But, but the staff there are really good and yeah. they know what's happening. And yeah, yeah, no, they're good. Does it upset you sometimes? Upset me? Um, look, it doesn't upset me. That's just, you know, yeah. a thing that I have to, I have to do. But um, and to be comfortable, um, even at work, so I... But the, the fact you have to, I guess, double-think things, does that ever get you down? Look, it has in the past... Look, I've done some silly things in the past. Like, if I look at... I used to work at Anset, and I'll mention Anset now. So I used to work at Anset. Oh, they're gone. And they're gone. And I used to do some real shit. Like, just as a bit of a stir, I'd use the ladies' toilets, and when I finish, I put the seat up. 
just to have the people. You know, people, yeah, yeah. The women after me think, oh, hang on. How many ladies put the seat up? Hang on, why is the seat up? And of course, you know, I can't urinate standing up anyway, but it yeah, was yeah, always yeah. a bit of a stir. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's my sixth sense of humour show. <laughs> um, look, it is, it is, uh, it is, it does get uh, upsetting. Um, and I have to, I've had to be careful over the years. So I've worked for Department of Defence, for example. So I've worked at a number of defence bases all around the country. And when I go to places, I do have to think carefully about about showers. You know how you present yourself. How, oh no, how I present myself. No. That's how you I mean, carry yourself. Yeah. Yeah, look, say sometimes, especially in country Victoria, mm-hmm. um, with it, you know where, where it's more likely to be homophobic. I am more careful, um, for sure, as as everybody in our community is, I'm sure. Hobson's Bay is in our inner west, yep. and traditionally I wouldn't have put that as the most accepting um, and understanding uh, part of our greater Melbourne region. Mm. Do you think you've had a major play uh, part to play in, in changing the way people think out that way? Um, you know, I'm never comfortable about talking about my contribution. I'll leave that for other people to discuss, but... Hopefully I have. I certainly hope that I, I have. I hope that there's years more that I'll be able to contribute. It was certainly lovely on Friday night being at the at what used to be the Altona Hospital where I was born, um, opening a queer art exhibition. You wow. Know? <laughs> how, <laughs> how wonderful how things go around in circles like that. It's great. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, going to Pier Street afterwards where we have wonderful cafes and restaurants and seeing same-sex couples walking around, you know, holding hands. It, it was it's great. So we have a very accepting community in Hobson's Bay, um, and particularly around the areas of Altona, Williamstown, Newport, Spotswood, South Kingsville. Great. Um, I've never had, never had a problem locally at all. Tony Briffer, what is ahead for you personally? Personally? Wow. Well, for me, it's about um, doing as much as I can while I can, so in the council. So I'm loving being mayor, and I'm used to the title of mayor now. It's, t- it's taken me a couple of can months. Can I just say you've adopted it well? It's on everything. <laughs> it's on everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do my best. Um, actually, it's amazing. My my website had two hundred and ten thousand hits last month. Can you um, give us the website? Because I I've got to say it's it's a great website. Oh, thank you. It's briffa.org. So b r i f a dot org. And you don't hold back there either. No, You're quite look, open about all, anything and everything. It's all open. It's you all got, you know. Even on Facebook and Twitter, look, it's all it's all an open book. Links to all the other articles that uh, have been about you and yep. um, places where I'm going, places where people can yeah. can see me and. And what I'm doing locally as well. So, yeah. And you continue to contribute to not just the, the greater community, but also to the intersex community. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and the wider GLBTIQ community. And certainly next Sunday, Pride March, I'll be there wearing the frock and the bling. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I should say the Merrill robes and the Merrill jewel of office. Sorry. And next, it's easier said. <laughs> and uh, it will be my great honour to, uh, together with uh, my colleague here at Joy, uh, Beck Savick, we will be broadcasting uh, the entire proceedings. So that's going to be, be a lot of fun yeah, from Fitzroy Street to St Kilda. So, uh, Tony Briffer, it's been a delight to meet you, to get to know you, and uh, you are an absolute inspiration, not just to the intersex community, but to us all. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. There will be a podcast of this interview available for download from Joy's website, joy.org.au. And if you would like to correspond with the program, please send us an email, word for word, at joy.org.au. I'm Dean Beck. You keep well. Take care. Till next time. Bye for now.
Word for Word is produced by Robert Briley and presented by Dean Beck and Sue Wilkinson from Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station, Melbourne's Joy 94.9. Word for Word is made possible thanks to funding provided by the Community Broadcasting Foundation and is distributed nationally to over 70 radio stations in the Community Radio Network. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.